Welcome to the Broken Pie Trail Podcast, episode 245. I'm your host, Derek Moore. With me once again is CEO of Zega Financial, my semi-permanent co-host, Jay Pastorcelli. Jay, you're here on a just a rocket ship day in the markets. I mean, what a what a difference a week makes, Derek, huh? Market decides like, hey, that was enough. Turns around. Best week of the year. It's good. Market's great. Yeah, no, no problem. No problem. Yeah, like a week ago, oh, are we finally going to have the recession? Uh, Treasury bonds are going to double digits. Didn't send, is it Rick Santoli on uh, CNBC? Or maybe it might have been somebody else on CNBC had said that. I don't think he said double digits. Rick's a little more, well, he's excitable. He's he's very like, you know, revert to the mean kind of guy. I don't know if he's a 10%, you know, interest rate kind of guy. Um, I, I would ask chat GPT, but chat GPT doesn't go back, you know, it doesn't have current stuff anyway. So yeah. All right. Let, let's start here. The fed has a meeting and Jay Powell is, you know, people were reading between the lines and, and apparently the thought is, uh, we could be done. Right. I mean, but did anybody really think beyond another quarter point? I mean, the probability was very, very high. They were just going to stay the same. Like, what really changed? Nothing changed. But his tone, right? So the Fed, we always say the Fed has two tools. They can raise rates and they could talk about raising rates. I should say change rates and they could talk about changing rates. He did kind of change a little bit of his tone. on. But look, I mean, I think you're right. Effectively, everybody had already planned on that uh, to be the case. So what really did change this week? Um, I mean, we had volatility within earnings, right? Most of the Magnificent Seven, I think, uh, right, we haven't seen NVIDIA yet, have reported. So that's now behind us. And you had the Fed meeting. You had jobs. Today, it's Friday, right? So by the time people see this, the jobs number's out. Yeah. I mean, it continues to be like it just it just it changed, Eric, the the tone absolutely changed. I mean, you mentioned earnings, and I, I get the this update from Refinitiv. Uh, they sent some research out. S&P earnings so far, Q3, what's out? Well, it's, it, can, it combines what's out and what still has to come. And there's only 97 companies in the S&P 500 left to report year over year, plus 5.7, revenue up 1.2%. So- yeah, I mean, and I and I think a number of companies that have been above, yeah, eighty one point six percent have been above estimates. So earnings are pretty good. They didn't disappoint necessarily. Uh, I think for the year we're still going to be up because Q four is actually the expectations are much more than even Q three. I'd have to check that. But I go, you know, we follow the the Fed funds futures, Jay. And we look at that and we say, okay, it shows the probability based upon where there's these contracts called the Fed Funds Futures. And if the Fed Funds Future is priced at 95, it's 100 minus 95, 5% is the implied interest rate. So to give you some context, right now for the December meeting, 95.4% probability the Fed does nothing. One week ago, there was only a 79% probability. 19% they were going to raise. 
like this, this is the thing. I mean, I don't think much has really changed. Like you said, besides the tone, but they're not really doing anything differently. I don't know. I, maybe this is just we an oversold bounce, but rates definitely are coming down. Rates definitely moved. I think rates were the main driver of this of the of the move this week, right? The correlation again between bonds and stocks was strong again. So as bonds went up and rates went down, the stock market went up, right? I mean that was it. We're still highly correlated between those two asset classes. I'm looking to uh, okay. So now, what does the the market? When I say the market, the futures market trading these interest rate products, what are they sort of forecasting as far as? The probability is going forward. Well, if we look at the, the CME FedWatch tool, which I'll put a link to in the show notes, we always refer to this. They have by May of next year, it looks like they're forecasting. I shouldn't say forecasting. The probability is 49%. Uh, and if you add, you know, the 49% probability, they'll be down a quarter point, 15%, a half point. And if you kind of add those two up together, it's got about a 65% probability there'll be a rate cut. I don't know. I mean, it, and and they have, by the end of the year, rates would be, you know, come down from five and a quarter, five and a half, all the way back down to four and a quarter, five or four and a half. You know, even if they do that, rates are still high relative to where they've been. But I don't know. I mean, the market's forecasted that rates are going to come down before and, we had a different scenario. So should we believe in this time, Jay? Uh, I mean, this is a reflection of where the money went to work today, right? This is where the pricing is right now. We have seen these numbers change on a dime with one Fed governor, you know, saying something on uh, 60 Minutes, right? Like this could move around quite a bit. I think um, it, the trend is interesting to watch here. Uh, but you know, the, you know, putting all of your faith into this is, uh, you know, I don't know. Right. I think, you know, I, so when I think through this, this is probably a little early on the fed cut. Uh, it feels like I'm going to tee you up for something in a minute. Soft landing is more and more likely here, right? They've J has threaded the needle and, you know, it's going to kind of bring us down lightly. But, you know, this tells us he's going to have to cut in May because something's looking bad. But, you know, the data isn't really showing that there's anything on the horizon. So there's a little bit of a contradiction here, I think, between the data that the market saw this week and what these uh, Fed fund futures are predicting. Uh, that's, you know, that's my two cents, right? One, these can flip on a dime, Derek. We've seen it happen numerous times. Well, I mean, last week it was saying a 20% probability in December. Now it's showing only 5%. So to your point, yeah, it flips on a dime and it's really the mood of the market that's sort of driving this. We'll see. And, you know, we're also in this this sort of regime, I'll call it, where bad news is good news. Like we had the employment report and the employment unemployment ticked from 3.8 to 3.9% and the market loved it. They love bad news right now. Like, think about that. The more people are unemployed, the unemployment rate went up. And we'll dig into the unemployment a little bit. There's some things to look at below the surface. But, like, it's it's the opposite sketch. It's the George Costanza, you know, do the opposite right now. And the more bad news, I think as long as it's not too bad, the better for the markets, Jay. 
and and the rationale behind that is, oh, he, you know, we won't raise rates any longer. But like you said, that has been kind of the assumed, you know, the the assumed go forward here. And again, it's oh, where the economy is slowing sufficiently, right? That's the assumption, right? That the Fed doesn't have to do anything. The economy is slowing, you know, sufficiently enough. But I don't know. Didn't we have GDP first look at GDP this week? I know it's a data point that we hadn't talked about, but didn't that come out and look pretty pretty good, right? I mean, GDP is really strong. Yeah. So I don't know. Have, have we really slowed the economy enough? I, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what they say. Now, uh, too early to tell. It's kind of like, you know, I just, and by the way, I went to a World Series game this week. I did go this week. Uh, the World Series is over. I did. Yeah, I went to go. It was in Arizona. Saw the Rangers and the and the Diamondbacks down downtown Phoenix. Great. It was great. Uh, baseball is uh, the pitch clock, the pace of play, much better. Uh, unfortunately, it's still waning in popularity, but people should come back to it. But wait, what I was going to say is they're already, uh, I think I saw on ESPN, they're predicting who's going to win the World Series next year. I'm like, really? They just ended. It's way too early. Jay, the Atlanta Fed GDP uh, estimator comes out, which is a now cast, takes all the information that's available right now. And the Fed, uh, the GDP now estimate for Q4, remember, we're still getting, we just got the Q3 data. It's uh, 1.3%, according to the uh, Fed, Atlanta Fed now model estimates from uh, range of top 10 and bottom 10 average forecast or below 1%. So I don't know. According to this, GDP is slowing in the fourth quarter. I mean, I, I say that sarcastically, but yeah, we just had a pretty good GDP. Remember, GDP is real. Not not that it's not fake, just it's adjusted for inflation. So when they say it's adjust, real, yeah, it's that's adjusted. what you mean by real. Yeah, yeah, real. It includes inflation. Yeah. Adjusted, yes, sir. Well, I do wonder too, you know, I, I think you and I have said before, I don't think the Fed governors or Powell like it when the market takes what they say and says, yeah, we're good. We're, we're going to the moon now. Like, I, don't you think if, if the markets really start to rally and, and the bond market really starts to, to rally, meaning rates go down, bonds go up, you'd start to see them use, as you point out, one of their tools, which is the talking heads. They go on TV, they start saying something to adjust parameters. I mean, do you think they're going to be happy with the market rocketing up? Uh, well, no, they've been trying. No, I think that would be contradictory to what uh, what they're trying to do. So, you know, market rocketing up, people feel a little more wealthy, people spend more bonds, uh, you know, rates drop as bonds go up. All of a sudden you get a little easing, interest rates mean, hey, better, easier to get money, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, the market uh, you know, will interpret and do what it's going to do. Uh, you know, they can't, the Fed can't really control anything past the actual Fed funds rate. But of course, we know it ripples out. Uh, I think, I don't think they would be happy, Derek, if the market rocket, which, which is a little, you know, confusing as to the tone of the meeting this week. But uh, look, it's all, all the talk. And like, how many podcasts have we talked about where we talked about bonds, right? It is monopolizing everybody's time. I was on a uh, I was on a panel just yesterday with it was an options based panel. All we were told it was all options money managers, all <laughs> option fund managers. And we talked about bonds for half the time. Like, I'm like, OK, we get it. 
We get it. They're interesting. They're driving. The bonds are in the driver's seat right now. It's just been so long since that's been the case. It just feels you know, odd for, for us to continue to be hammering on it. But it is the driver still, so you can't ignore it. I guess I'm annoyed. I guess I'm annoyed. I guess what I'm saying is, hey, can we can we just can we break away this correlation here, right, between bonds and stocks? Can we just, you know, get a market that's going to do what it's got to do based on uh, anyway, it's always an important thing, but it seems we're getting a lot of waiting on it, Derek, just everywhere, everywhere. When bonds move as much as they have and they're down as much as they are, it's bound to have a lot of place uh, in a big part of the discussions because As we know, traditional money managers, traditional advisors, investors, it's the old, hey, I'm going to put 60% of my portfolio in stocks. I'm going to put 40% in bonds. And then if one goes down, I take from the other and I buy more of of that one. And we talked about it last week. You've been, people have been selling stocks to buy more bonds and bonds go down. So you sell more stocks to buy more bonds. They go down. You know, it's, it's been problematic and it's, it's caused, pro, you know, obviously some upset, I think, for clients, for investors. I, you said something, though, about the cutting. And I always go back to 94, 95. I, I'm going to keep saying it. This is the most obvious example or correlation to what we're going through right now. Jay, can you guess? So the Fed was raising rates in 1994. And they started cutting in 95, very similar to 2022, 2023, and maybe 2024. Jay, do you, do you know what month, if you were to guess, uh, they started cutting in 95? And it's, it's not May. I'll give you that hint. Oh, it's not May. Okay. Well, look, I'm, I'm going to guess early, February. Okay. Uh, Should have went the other way. July 6, 1995. <laughs> They went from 6% to 5.75. And then do you know when they they cut again? Hint, Uh, later in the year. Snow on the ground. Snow on the ground. Really? December. (laughs) December. Yeah, December. Yeah. And I had, by the way, I had to look it up. It's not like I knew this. I I knew generally when it was. Yeah, December 19th. They cut another quarter point, 5.75 to 5.50. That's a half point. And it's I bring it up because to me, you look at that and rates stayed higher, you know, post 95, it's not like they went back to zero, but rates stayed higher. The markets did well. I mean, earnings did well. And, you know, you look at these two cuts, it was only a half point. We're five and a quarter, five and a half. So if we get a half point of cuts. What does that bring us to? Four, seven, five to five. I mean, I don't know. Barring... It's still, yeah, relative. It's not not to the 80s, not to the 70s maybe, but you know, we're sort of back around the 1995 period and stocks did okay. So, you know, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens with this. Jay, back to unemployment. There's, and, and uh, somebody in the audience actually asked a question, which I thought was a, an interesting one. And that was, isn't, the spike in unemployment due to everyone, you know, all the strikes that are happening. What, right? We have the, the automakers, we have, is it the actors are still out? I know the writers are back. I think it's the actors are still out. So the answer is, and uh, uh, some extensive research on this. Actually, I asked, 
I asked ChatGPT4 really quick. I love to bring up ChatGPT4. Workers who are on strike are not counted as unemployed unless they are actively seeking work at a different employer. So no, not necessarily, unless those people who are striking are actually looking for work elsewhere. So that's not what caused the spike. Jay, with this time, it seemed like it was a combination of the population growing and the size of the labor force growing, but the jobs not necessarily keeping up. So I don't know. Do you read any, anything into this, uh, this report that's sort of, I don't know, interesting? Yeah, I mean it's it's the numerator denominator thing this time around, right? In my in my opinion, right? So, uh, no, I mean, the, look, the rate is the rate. It's it's gosh, it's 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 low. I think they. What would the Fed say about this? I think they'd say, you know, fully, you know, employed uh, population here, right? They would consider the number today to be, you know, good, even though it did tick up from the the movement of these numbers, but. Uh, no, I don't read too much into this one, Derek. I mean, I know there's some that say that this has kind of been a little bit of a warning flag, although the market seemed to really like it as, again, as your point, like, is it a problem? Is it not a problem? Is it bad news is good news today that this was bad news is good news? But, I, you know, when I when I look at these, the underlying pinnings, the things that drive that, you know, that division, no, I don't see anything in here that's all that interesting. Yeah, I'd agree. And and basically to really, I don't want to say dumb it down, but to simplify it, the the size of the population went up, but the size of the labor force went down. And the, lab, the, the labor force are people who are working or who are out of work, but actively looking. If you're like, I'm out of work, but I'm good. I'm just going to go surf for a while and just, you know, write poetry and hang out on the beach all day. That person's not part of the labor force because they're they're unemployed, but they're not looking. And so, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's you're right. It's it's a little bit of a math thing here. Um, we'll see. I mean, and ideally, you want to see the labor force. So, the labor force participation rate you would expect that to go up if people are like, "Hey, I'm I need I need to get a job. There are jobs available. I'm going to go take them." So, we'll we'll watch this. Maybe we won't watch it. We'll just read it when it comes out. How about that, Jay? I'm not that watching. That sounds good. That sounds yeah. good. All right. Uh, by the way, a, there's a Bloomberg columnist, uh, Claudia Sam, Sam, S-A-H-M. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that name. And there's a rule, a, a former Fed economist. And the idea is that the the start of a recession happens when the three-month moving average of unemployment rate of the unemployment rate rises by half a percentage point or more relative to its low during the previous 12 months. All right. So let's, let's like simplify that. So you have a three month moving average. So that's the last three months. And then the month before that was like the three month moving average. So it's like, uh, so right now it would be October, September, August. But in September, it would have been July, August, September, right? And then you take the average of those months. What they're saying is it ticked up, and then when it's a half percent off the low, I don't know, Jay. Are we going to have a recession or not, according to this, I guess, I don't know. right? It's, it's a rule. You just said it's, it's the SOM rule. It's, oh, wait call a, it the, no, you just told me that Jay Powell said good stuff and the market liked it. 
I mean, it's but what about this rule? It's a it's 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 a rule. I mean, I look. I mean, obviously, I'm over. I don't put a lot of. I've, first, of all, I've never heard of this rule. Uh, second off, when I look at the data that this provided, it feels like it, it's gone up this much in the past and hasn't triggered a recession. And then uh, I don't even think we've gone up enough to trigger it when I'm looking at the current data. I don't know. Uh, and a three-month moving average, really? Wow, three data points? Wow. So that's a lot. I'm kidding. So I don't know. It feels like uh, it just happens to line up. I would say, you know, I could look. Nope, not buying it. All right. Not buying it. I'm not buying All the right. SOM rule. Sorry. Well, if it, if we have a recession, I'm going to say that you were wrong. And I mean, eventually right. we're going to have a recession. <laughs> like, well, like when? Like how long? Yeah. Like, will we have a recession? Yes. Write it down. Yes. There we go. We're going to be right. It's just like <laughs> eventually. Well, I, I will say this too. The unemployment rate's pretty low. And when you have very low numbers, things that change make a bigger impact. It's like when bonds were at 0% and you had, you know, if you went from 0.1% to 0.2%, you increase by 100%. But on a relative basis, it's like, well, I'm still getting next to nothing, you know? So I don't know. I, I think it'd be interesting to look at the unemployment rate. I'm sure they've done some interesting work with that, but all right, let's it's move rule on. There. It's a rule. Well, there's a lot of volatility in our, uh, in our conversation today, I think. Rule. Speaking of volatility, I'm going to call the our investing strategy a rule. There you go. It's a uh, volatility. Right. You want to talk about volatility? Yes. Sorry, I'm off the rule thing. So it fell off what, a cliff, Jay. Yeah. What? Where'd it go? Where'd who go? I mean, I'm looking at the chart of the VIX. Right. We we um. You see where we actually printed at the close today? Fourteen point nine one. Uh, so we're under 15 and, uh, you know, we do, we trade some strategies we have that we trade daily options. And it was like, after the news of this week, it's just that large vacuum sound of all the volatility getting sucked right out of the market. Even the volatility on the VIX index, meaning the options on the VIX, that's also coming up on that. Uh, that 80 number that you and I like to talk about, like watch out for 80, right? Things are going to be low in volatility for a while if you can get below 80. Close today, 82.83 on the VVIX. So VIX below 15, VVIX approaching 80. Options market says you're good. Options market says all clear. Like you should, don't worry. There's There's no premium on protection here. So that's what it's telling us. Yeah, it's, and you and I always say, you know, we buy, we hedge. That's one of the core things we do. When premium is cheap and nobody wants it, it's sometimes when you want it. I mean, in a hedged equity strategy, because we're always hedged. But the cost of hedging does get cheaper. So I think that's that's one of the the tidbits here that, you know, I know you like to talk about, Jay. Yeah, actually, right. When when options are cheap, you want to be a buyer of options. When they're expensive, we like to be sellers of options. We were sellers of options the last couple of weeks. We talked about that, right, with some of the strategies that we've talked about in the past. And so today, you know, this is uh, you're getting options at the lowest level going back to, you know, the middle of September. So a month and a half ago. And, if you know, if you had put on hedges a month and a half ago, 
I think you would have been fairly happy, you know, through uh, through last week because the market had a decent little pullback, right? We went into correction, correction territory, all of those things. Are we getting back there? This is dropping, though, fairly quickly, Derek. It reminds me, you know, if I'm, if I'm looking for a similarity of what happened, this kind of looks like what happened in May when you look at a chart of the VIX, right, where it just kind of fell off a cliff, went from 20 down to uh, really went down to just a, with a 13 handle in the period of like a week and a half. And then we all know what happened through June and July, where, you know, despite strangeness going on, you had the uh, uh, the AI rally and the market was like, yeah, who cares? Right. No risk. So it looks a little bit like that to me with how quickly this has come down uh, in this period. But uh, we'll see if it really kind of breaks to a new uh, lower level. But this is it. Like this is uh, buyers of options. By the way, buying of options doesn't only have to be the protection side, right? Um, there are strategies where you can buy for appreciation and growth, right? Some of our strategies run that. Uh, so it's interesting to watch here. So this is, uh, you know, an environment where buying options could uh, could be worth doing at this level because they are less expensive than they were before. That's what that VIX index is telling us. At the same time, I mean, we are sellers of options and we have strategies that that do that quite often. I'm, I'm smiling as I say that. But it's, uh, you know, option selling ETFs, by the way. I don't, there was a, a print in the, looks like this is from Bloomberg. And option selling ETFs are booming is the headline. Assets have exploded amid, inflow, amid inflows and new launches. Audience can't see this, but if you could imagine the, it's pretty flat. And then kind of middle to the end of 2020, you start to uh, see this line go up and to the right. And it's it's almost parabolic, like, you know, 5 billion, 3 billion, up to close to 60 billion. So I think there's definitely a new understanding, especially among, I think, the advisor community, the RA community and, and other institutions about how they can use options more than just speculating. And selling options is is definitely gaining popularity, generating income. And you know what's fascinating too, Jay? You know, we always said one of the alternative income because there is no other alternative. Bonds were, were getting next to nothing. But now, even though bonds are, let's say, you know, I mean, they're pretty healthy yields, even on the short end, getting 5%. Like the popularity of selling options to generate income is rising. So there is an alternative, but people want a different alternative too, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we're, we're definitely involved in that. It's nice to see growth in uh, an area where we participate. We are uh, the managers on multiple funds that sell option premium as the prime source of delivering yield. And so what I would say about this is there's definitely been a path since, like you said, uh, 2020 uh, through 2021. I really feel like you know, when you look at the poor year that we had in stocks and bonds of in 2022, uh, the strategies that really stood out were option selling strategies. Heck, we had a we had a couple strategies that were up in 2022 because they sold premium. That was their primary uh, primary uh, uh, driver of returns, and you know you could see that everywhere. Right, there's a lot of funds that people follow because they just feel like it's, oh, I kind of want this 
uh, a steady stream of income from something other than stocks and bonds. All right. So that's why we like to say it fits. Um, I, you know, we'll see if there's going to be a trend away from this, but I think that folks like what we've seen, the, the investing public, they like the kind of higher than bond yields and higher than, you know, stock dividends that options-based strategies can generate. Of course, they all come with their own risks. Higher return always has higher risk somewhere, right? There's there's no version where there's higher return for less risk. It may be a different kind of risk, uh, but that's never the case. So people are willing to kind of branch out and try those different things. I do find it interesting in an environment where you could take, you know, buy a three-month government bond, which is considered, you know, one of the safest investments in the world, uh, and make 5%, yet people will, you know, wade into the water in, in options-based strategies that will pay you, you know, double that and then some. So just interesting to see the dynamics there where yield continues to be uh, a driver of uh, innovation. And, uh, you know, you see the changing environment in the ETF space uh, that uh, there's just more and more options-based strategies out there, and they are definitely gathering assets at a higher rate than I would say, you know, non-active, you know, management, uh, you know, the passively managed ETFs. Definitely a change is, a, is afoot. And it doesn't look like it's slowing either. No, I agree. I, I think it's it's accelerating and, and we're seeing more and more interest. I, I go back, you know, when I first got into the business, and I, I think it was, although I got in a little bit before you, we were around the same time. The, the amount of information, like if you were somebody, let's say you were somebody trading at home or investing at home and you, you wanted options data or even just to learn about options, like there wasn't that much. Like where, where were you going to, we used to use Bloomberg machines back when I was on a trading desk in, in the early mid nineties, because that's the only place I could pull up an option chain or pull up. Greeks or volatility is right. And now you open an account with whoever and, and you just have it. So I, I think that's part of it as well. And, and that's, I don't know, I could be wrong on that, but I, th- that's my thought there. All right. Well, look, it's obviously, it's, a, it's an exciting topic for us. Uh, I, if I could touch on a topic that you and I have kind of stumbled upon, you know, when we talk about option selling strategies, Usually those options are based off what? Those options are on equities, right? On stocks, stocks or stock indexes. Um, you and I have seen that there's a fairly, there's a robust enough market there that uh, the ebbs and flows of the ins and outs of dollars kind of do a pretty good job of giving you a fairly predictable outcome, right? I mean, obviously uh, the options market is not infallible, but you know, 70 plus percent of the time, it's projected volatility turns out to be what the volatility is of the stock market or the underlying stock. When you apply this to fixed income vehicles, uh, like some popular ETFs like uh, IEI or TLT, you see a very different picture here, Derek, right? I mean, uh, it, it's, it's don't assume that all options are treated the same. The TLT options, for example, are ones that uh, always present a little, a little different challenge because they are rooted in oh gosh, bonds. I just brought up bonds again. But when you yeah, when you when you think 
I don't like you can't avoid it right now. So it's interesting, you know, when I look at a chart of the volatility of TLT versus its price, it almost gets it exactly backwards sometimes. Sometimes it's right, sometimes it's exactly the wrong uh, the wrong side, meaning like volatility on that ETF was almost at the one at, at its annual low in September. And that was right before TLT fell off a cliff and, you know, dropped to, you know, 10, 15 percent. So like, you know, again, don't treat all options the same, but the options on uh, in equities seem to have a fairly good predictability to them. Not the case when it comes to options on bond based products. Yeah, and and for the audience, we're not necessarily saying, "Hey, buy," you know, do something when when TLT volatility is low. You know, that's. Uh, but one of the things early on, people following the VIX, Jay, it's this old rule that when the VIX is high, it's time to buy. When the VIX is low, it's time to go, or something like that. That is it not in the it case. Must be a rule. Wait, is that it another must, rule? It's not a rule. It's, it's true. <laughs> But that's that's one of the things, and and you and I, and and I mean, look, mar- markets are can be unpredictable, so it's not a hard and fast thing. But low volatility sometimes begets more low volatility, and you know, everyone sort of says, "Well, the VIX." Remember when the VIX was ten back in twenty seventeen? Everyone said, "Oh, it, crash is coming." No, it, it never did. Never did. It didn't, and it turned out that it was even high at ten. Right. Like the realized volatility of actually what happened was even lower than where the VIX was. Right. And then so you're absolutely right. But it was it is it is not viable by any means. Right. So interpret it as you will. So good point. Bonds also, you know, something like TLT or IAF is can I say the word convexity? I just did it. Uh, So bonds are interesting and especially the longer duration stuff. When interest rates changed, the impact just from interest rate changes, it's greater. The impact is greater when they go down versus the impact to the downside in something like TLT when interest rates go up because of the the convex nature. And it's just for every one point move in interest rates, how much does TLT or, or the underlying bonds go up or down? It's a formula based upon durations and different things like that. But it is, and sometimes you see those those weird things in the option chain, but it's the effect of convexity that's in there. So, you know, we'll leave it there. Jay, can I bring up Japan? Good idea. I just did convexity. I'm bringing up Japan real quick. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. And I don't know if it's, this is one of those, it might be something, but I don't know what it is yet. Uh, I'm sure you, you follow the Japanese central bank and all their uh, machinations that they're doing. It well, seems you, like you they abandoned this, this week, right? You couldn't really well, this avoid week it. They this abandoned week. yield curve control, Jay. Yeah. I think they're going to let the so what they were doing is if the 10-year yield got too high, they were going and buying bonds trying to force the yield back down. I think they essentially said, I don't know if they explicitly said it or it's kind of like between the lines. No, they're done. And if you look at a chart of the JGB 10-year yield, I don't think it's quite pushed above one yet, but it was, it's been shooting up. So that I bring this up because it might be something. Also, it's been years since Japan let their, their yields float. Not only that, but it's been years since they've been this high. I mean, I'd have to go back and look at a chart. Just write this down, folks. 
may not mean anything today. I don't know what it means yet, but I'm watching it, Jay. Um, do, what, and so the why, like, so, uh, so we know the, 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 what happened. Great. We, do we know the why? And then do we know, you know, the impact on this? The way I, uh, my two cents on this, I don't know the why, um, but the impact is, Hey, you know, this will reduce the amount of purchases that Japanese investors would have in U.S. bonds, right? Because now they can buy in their own home currency, more of their own bonds, get a better rate, right? Those types of things. So when I think of the impact there, it's a, it's a currency impact, but also a value of our treasuries uh, as well, right? There's, you know, supply and demand uh, will come. So maybe a little less demand there as well. Do you, do you know the why, Derek? Like why? Why this change in policy? Well, I think it's. It, they, I think they're giving up. I think they're giving up. Like how much money are they going to spend to try and do this? It's not working. And we we found, and whether it's current, whether it's you know the Swiss National Bank used to come in and do uh, currency. It's not manipulation. That's the wrong word. Interventions. Japan has done currency interventions, and what, what that is is basically a. A really big central bank comes in and buys or sells an asset to try and get the the price of it. Jay, I think they're just saying it's not working. You know, let's we just have to let it float. And you could make the argument with Japan is they've tried to keep rates super low for years and years and years. And lo and behold, when rates have been going higher, their stock market's been doing better. I mean, who would have thought that? I also think that. At some point, I mean, their currency was getting very, very weak, meaning how many Japanese yen it takes to get a dollar. The implications, though, you ask that, is I think you nailed it. It's if their rates were to rise, and the Japanese yen is a lot of times a, a safe haven, or it's been, been considered a safe haven in the past. It's the idea of you know, maybe you get a flow of funds to Japanese bonds and in Japanese yen. And, you know, currency trading, uh, the last thing I'm going to do on this is bring up currency trading and those, but I think that's what it is. And it flows back to our markets because less demand for treasuries, less demand means prices of bonds go higher, all else being equal. And it never is, by the way. But I think that's, I think that's the why. And I think that's the implication. How's that okay. sound? Great. So yeah. we're going to watch it. You want to watch yep. it and we'll see if it has an impact. I was going to push my luck talking the, about the, the Argentinian debt crisis and inflation, but I'll, I won't push my luck this week bringing up uh, Oh, okay. My, <laughs> Jay, I, I want to ask you about just when we think about earnings, going back to earnings and volatility, uh, the Magnificent Six, I think, have reported, right? So we're just waiting for NVIDIA. And I'm curious, you know, we always like to look at NVIDIA or not NVIDIA. We like to look at options leading up to earnings. And I don't think they, they don't report for a couple of weeks, but I feel like it, it's this interesting relationship between the drop in volatility overall, but then a specific thing. And we're not picking, you know, direction on video, but just the options market, uh, I just wonder if you've looked at that relationship, you know, thinking about the attribution of what's going on in, in maybe their volatility in itself. Yeah, so it is something that we watch and we've been seeing kind of lower levels of volatility going into earnings for the Magnificent Seven, right? Uh, 
Nvidia, by the way, looks like the twenty first of November is when they uh, is when they announce. Uh, so I, you know, I would expect to see a little pop higher in uh, the the cost of options and implied volatility going into that. But even though you get this normal kind of oh earnings are coming out, there may be a chance for a five to six or seven or ten percent move. The options market has been overpricing those, meaning if you got you know, if you were like, I'm going to play for the big move and you spent money on the options, it uh, ended up costing you because the the market, while it might have moved, uh, didn't move enough. And even though you had some big moves, I think Tesla had a 10 percent move. Uh, I'm thinking uh, Google had a 10 percent move down. It still wasn't enough to break you even on the options you paid. So there's always this little extra premium that goes in. But it has been getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And at some point, those will, you know, there's a chance that those start to actually be worth taking. But usually we prefer to be sellers when, when volatility is higher, especially around earnings. But I think that's what you're talking about, Dark, right? Like we've seen this kind of downtrend. You know, if I had a chart of the implied volatility, the pop, the spikes around earnings, the tops of those spikes have been coming down little by little. That's what we've been observing. And I would say that, um, you know, based on where the market volatility is here, it's, it looks like, you know, that seems, that seems justified. I have this theory, and I haven't done any research on it, that because NVIDIA goes so late in the cycle and all the other big companies are out, that their volatility is actually dampened. But I have no, <laughs> no basis for that. It's just a thought in my head. I'm going to have to look at that. Like, because you know what I mean? It does kind of create its own market because it's like Nike, right? They kind of they kind of report independent of everybody else. They're out of the cycle, right? Normally, you throw Microsoft and Google and Apple and Amazon and Netflix, and you throw all them together. They're always within like a week or two week period, where and then Netflix is you know five weeks later. Sorry, uh, Nvidia is four or five weeks later. So you're not wrong. I think it is a chance to kind of create its own market. But you could look at like AMD, which reports in kind of the same cycle, and a lot of people kind of gauge the uh you know the chips together when you look at amd they throw nvidia in there or intel i didn't see what intel did you know they've been up and their volatility is wow that's a good chart on intel it's been a long time since i've said that's a good chart on intel um not a buy recommendation but i'm just saying the chart looks pretty if you did buy it uh higher highs and higher lows uh but it's volatility is down so amd had a lot of volatility. Earnings came out. I think I saw it drop to 95 today. I think it closed at 108. So it's had some movement within that range. That's even the worst, right? You get the volatility and it whips on. But back to your point, I do think NVIDIA is kind of its own little, creates its own little uh, investosphere. That's a word I just made up, where it can change the tone independent because it announces independent of everybody else. And I think there's just a lot of I mean, it's it's created its own, you know, it's its own, you know, unique following. It's just a super interesting stock to watch. But yeah, I think all of those things for it being outside, Derek. I think you're right. I think he could turn the tone of a market like it did in the summer this year for, by itself. There was a uh, uh, where is it here? I'm looking through business breakdowns as a podcast, and I. The name of the host is is escaping me, but they do really, really deep, deep dives on companies. And they did something like a, a three or four series, you know, so so if you want to listen to this, it's like, yeah, you're, you're in for like four hours here at least. 
but they broke down their business and it was really fascinating and just hearing all the stuff that they do. Um, yeah. By the way, Intel, do you know what Intel off the low, off the low from what is this? October 26th. They're up like 18%. Do you know that? I just said beautiful chart. Well, you said beautiful. You didn't give out the number. Like that's so you see it October 26th, and then the earnings must have been the 27th. And then it's just kind of continued. It's people don't realize like Intel used to be back in the late 90s, like really early 2000s. There was an investment magazine, and this was unheard of. They devoted the entire issue to one company, and it was Intel. Think about that, an entire magazine just to one company. That's how big Intel was back then. I mean, they were, they were you know, doing quantum chips. They were doing all kinds of really interesting stuff early. It's, I've always been surprised to see their leadership lost because I, I always thought they were the smartest company on the street when it came to, uh, you know, chips, but I, you know. No, they haven't. And and they're still really big in like desktop computers. But think about that. Desktop computer sales, I, I'm talking out of the back of my head here, but I'm, I don't think they've, they're growing. I mean, a lot of people are just using iPads and stuff. There's, there's no, like you remember back in late 90s, early 2000s, you almost needed to get a new computer every three, six months because the memory would just go up and the power would go up so much like every few months. It was crazy. Yeah, now with phones, people are doing a lot more work mobile, and Intel miss. It feels like they kind of missed the mobile game. But what they I did. Know? Maybe so Intel would could write into you and let you know. But then it's up eighteen percent. So they're good for the people who bought it on the bottom. Good for you. Yay for you! All right, Jay. Let's get to uh, any, anything uh, you want to bring up to the audience as far as watching. I feel like you got a good one. Oh, like my recommendations? Yeah. My recommendations? Yeah, yeah. I thought you were yeah, the stocks I was watching. Uh, yeah, let's get to some real important stuff. So I am watching the uh, the Bosch Legacy Show. So it's kind of the second round of the show Bosch on Amazon Prime. Really like Bosch. You turned me on to it, so thank you for that. It was a great recommendation. And now uh, they took a break for a bunch of years, and now they're kind of back. Uh, second season uh, with Bosch, who is no longer a police officer, he's a private investigator, but basically acts as a police officer. So, really like Bosch. If you haven't watched Bosch, it's 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 worth the time. There's is it? I'm trying to think how many seasons. There's quite a bit, right? Five, six, seven seasons. Um, definitely, it's it's a good one. It's a good one. If you like kind of cop shows, it's a good one. Yeah. So Amazon Prime is. I'm just looking it up now here. Amazon Prime. Uh, I should have looked this up before. Yeah, but the first Bosch is on Amazon Prime. So that's, like you said, and it is Bosch. How many seasons was that? I don't know. Um, it's, I feel like it was like four or five. Probably I at least four. Uh, look, it's, it, it's, it, it would be easy for us to figure out if there's only a way to ask something to tell us the answer to a question like oh this. i'll ask hang on i'll ask chat well did it end oh <laughs> did no did uh did bosch end before 2021 because right they only have the the data back to then uh here i'm gonna ask i'm gonna ask chat gpt this is uh all right how many how many seasons did 
Yeah. Bosch on Amazon. We'll, we'll see what ChatGPT says. I don't know if it's a season up oh, seven. Seven okay. seasons. Okay. So if you haven't watched it, that's a that's a nice get. And then it's a real it's a real convincing uh, sorry commitment to uh, to watch that. If yeah. I can convince you. And then the new one is on Freebie, which is basically in the witness protection program. Now, that's an app that you can download. I think it's owned by Amazon, but it's on Freebie, F-R-E-E-V-E, I think, right? Yeah. Something like that. You got it. So, and there's, is this the third season of that one? Second. Second season. Second season. Okay. All right. So there you go. It's a double recommendation from us. I'm going in on that one too. I'm all in on that one. So. Good deal. All right, Jay. Uh, all right. No time for Argentina and the, and the Argentinian debt crisis. Or we can save that till next week, maybe. Bummer. Yeah, I might be out next week. All right. We'll save that. All right, Jay. Thanks again for coming on. And for everyone else, we'll talk to you soon. See ya.